We are not just going to turn our keys over, not without a fight, and we are not, I'm not going to walk away from this home quietly. I often dream of trains when I'm alive. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Laura Conaway here on Wednesday, December 17th. It's about 4.35 p.m. in New York. Today, we're going to actually explain exactly what the Federal Reserve did yesterday that shocked everybody so much. But first, Adam, do you have the Planet Money indicator? I do indeed. Today's indicator is 650. Uh-huh. 650 Fifth Avenue, in fact. It's an address just down the block from us, well, about 10 blocks away. Uh, it's a big office building with a bunch of shops. I looked it up. There's a Liz Claiborne there, a Charles Schwab, you know, where you go in and discuss your IRA. There's a deli. Oh, and 655th Avenue yes. has just been named a part of a global weapons of mass destruction funding plot. What are you talking about? Uh, let me explain. So today, the Treasury Department, the FBI, the New York Police Department, and others got together and said that that building is co-owned by an Iranian bank that has been blocked from doing any business in the U.S. because it has been part of Iran's efforts to build weapons of mass destruction. And what do you think that is an indicator of? I think it's an indicator that we here at Planet Money are kind of sick of just giving bad financial news all the time. Thank you. And I thought it was be It's a fascinating <laughs> story yeah. and it has nothing to do with It has this to do recession. with commercial real estate, which I think is in trouble in this city a little bit. And terror and Fifth Avenue. All right. Let's move on to the news about interest rates, my friend. All right. So yesterday, obviously, uh, we said on the podcast and so did everyone else, the Federal Reserve lowered the federal funds target rate from 1% to a range which is now between 0.25% and just 0.00%. So we thought to start, we, we wanted to just lay out as clearly as we can, what exactly is a federal funds rate and why does the Fed want to lower it? What does that have to do with this crisis? So we uh, called up our one of our very favorite economists, Simon Johnson, of uh, the Peterson Institute, of MIT, formerly of the IMF, our economist house caller. And we asked him, what is a Fed funds rate? Well, if, you, if you're lucky enough to, to be a bank or run a bank, you have money on deposit at uh, the central bank, at the Federal Reserve, and those are your federal funds. And, of course, what banks like to do more than anything else is lend money. Well, that, that, actually, that used to be the case. The banks are not so keen on lending anymore. But they, they lend money, including this money they have at the Fed. So if you have more than you need, more than the reserves you're, you're supposed to keep there, you can lend them to other people who are a bit short um, on, on reserves or th this kind of cash um, overnight. Uh, and that example. to me is a so, – so that's you know, point number one. Banks have bank accounts. I have a bank account. Let's say I have a bank account at Citibank. Citibank has a bank account at the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Every bank that deals with dollars, both U.S. and foreign banks that deal with U.S. dollars, has an account at the New York Federal Reserve Bank. So Simon Johnson Bank has um, – Let's say you have $100 billion in loans and you have $5 billion at the New York Federal Reserve Bank, right? Right. Now, Adam Bank, my bank, has $50 billion in loans and $2.5 billion at the Federal Reserve Bank. And I've been lending it out, lending it out, and I'm short. I only have $2 billion, and by law, I need to have $2.5 billion. So I call you up and I say, Simon, can I have half a billion dollars? And you say... 
well, hold on. I'm not in the business of just giving money away. You have to pay me something. Well, you used to have to pay me something until uh, yesterday. Until yesterday, <laughs> right. Exactly. That's the Fed funds rate. That's the rate at which I'm willing to lend to you. And that's, that's the rate, obviously, between two private parties, you and me. But the Fed... Uh, has a very strong interest in, in that rate. And the way monetary policy is operated in the U.S. traditionally and quite effectively is by moving that rate up and down by the Fed either providing more or more liquidity, more reserves to that market, or taking it out through so-called open market operations. So banks have accounts at the New York Federal Reserve Bank? Right. It's always at the New York Federal Reserve Bank. There's a dozen Federal Reserve Banks around the country, but it's the New York Fed that does this. And they lend money to each other. They do it through our buddies at Traditional Securities, Will and uh, Tom and those guys. And they, when they lend money, it's generally at the federal funds rate. But what does Simon Johnson mean when he says the Federal Reserve moves the rate up and down? I mean, what are these, what's an open market operation? It's a fancy way for the Fed has a trading desk, just like lots of other trading desks. Think of Lots of guys in their late 20s sitting at computer screens, you know, yelling into telephones and looking at their Bloomberg terminals. Um, let, let's imagine for a second the Fed did not exist. Banks would probably still lend money to each other and they would just find some market-based rate, whatever rate, you know, the market cleared, the supply and demand reached. But the Fed feels that it shouldn't just be whatever the market rate is because they, the Fed sometimes decides we want it lower than that or we want it higher than that. Now, the Fed can't just say, by law, from now on, you must lend at this rate. The Fed actually has to do something. They actually have to buy and sell in the market to move the rate. If the Fed decides that the banks are choosing a higher rate, which they are now, you know, the Fed feels that right now banks are not lending enough. They're not lending at low enough an interest rate. So the Fed decides, wow, banks need more cash. So what they say is, well, all those banks own treasury bonds. They have them in their vault or whatever, in their computer somewhere. We're going to buy those treasury bonds and give them cash. So the bank will go from having a bunch of treasury bonds, which they can't do much with on a day-to-day -day basis, and convert those treasury bonds into cash, which makes the banks more likely to lend money. That's what you call injecting liquidity. Again, to think this through, imagine you are a bank. You or I have some treasury securities, which, which we're holding uh, as banks, and the, the Fed uh, takes those off our hands and provides us uh, with, uh, with cash, with liquidity. So then I have more federal funds available to lend, and that's going to tend to push down the federal funds rate. So it's a competitive market, but with the Fed at the margin – um, stepping in as necessary to move the rate. Now, I should say that once they announce a target rate, as long as people feel they are in the market pushing in this way, they don't necessarily have to do an awful lot of uh, intervention because people understand that they can control this rate if they need to. So there's a sort of a self-fulfilling angle to this. So the Fed doesn't just announce the target rate every six weeks and then leave. They are in there every minute of every day monitoring the rate banks are lending to each other uh, and buying and selling treasuries, putting money into the system, taking money out of the system. Believe it or not, there are times when the economy is growing too fast. I know it doesn't feel like that right now, but there are. Um, and, and, and right now, they're not doing that. They're putting money in because they're trying to drive rates down. But why drive the rate down? How does that affect the economy? So you lower the Fed funds rate, which is just the base rate of our economy. It's the, you know, like we said, it's the rate banks lend to each other overnight just for one day. But when banks borrow Fed funds rates for less, when, when that 
amount is lower. Banks can turn around and offer other loans to people and businesses for less. And that's the part that's good for me because then I can borrow more cheaply from a house or car or something. Or to start a new business or to build a new factory or buy some new equipment. Exactly. If, say, like Alex Bloomberg wants to buy a new house and uh, – the bank look, you know, banks look at him and say, all right, a guy like that, we want to make at least 5% interest if we give him a mortgage. If the bank is borrowing money at 1% and they want to make 5% on the loan, they got to give the loan to Alex at 6%, 5 plus 1. It's a little more complicated than that, but let's just use simple numbers. Okay. If, if the bank suddenly can borrow money at 0% or 0.25% instead of 1%, they can now lend the money to Alex at 5% or 5 and a quarter percent. Alex might go, huh, at 6%, I didn't want to buy the house. At 5%, I'm pretty interested. But you are making it sound as if what the Federal Reserve wants is for people, and I guess businesses, to borrow more money and spend more money. And I have to tell you, Adam, if I have heard it once on our blog, I've heard it dozens of times. People say we're in this big recession to start with because everybody borrowed too much and spent too much. Exactly. And and that is one of the great ironies. I mean, Simon Johnson said this is just – it's such an ironic moment right now and it's so counterintuitive. We do – and by we, I mean people who study economics and think about this stuff in sober ways. Everyone wants Americans to save money and spend less overall as a percentage of their income. But we don't want them to do it right now. We want to get through this crisis and the way we get through this crisis – as perverse as it seems, is by spending a little more, borrowing a little more. And what Simon told us is that cutting the rates, getting spending going, will help us get out of this crisis and then get us back to the bigger picture thing uh, of saving money in the long term. Now, he can't promise anything, of course. It is risky, and it may not work. Um, well, actually, I think it ultimately will work, but it may work in, in a way that you have to really put a lot of extra money um, in, in, into the system, and that's going to come with, with some substantial risks. But you but, basically well, – you know, what, what are the alternatives? That's the problem. So you basically believe that this is a good idea because th- there's a – you know, one of the crucial things with any economic policy is to think what is the range of time of the problem it's solving – and and the savings, the lack of of savings in America, that is a decades long issue. That's something that we really want to think about over many decades. The problem of this recession and making this recession not a depression or a vicious, vicious recession, that's a problem of months and years, not of decades. Right. So so we you can simultaneously want over the coming decades to see Americans save more but over the coming weeks and months, save less. That's exactly right. And, and the thinking, it, it, it's a, it, it is a definitely a place where economic uh, logic and economic experience runs right up against what makes sense to individuals um, from their own intuition, their own experience. And, uh, you know, the reaction in 1929, um, when, you know, our thinking and, and, our, and our data were somewhat different, was that the leading policymakers said, oh, my goodness, things are bad. We need more austerity, fiscal austerity, which means fiscal cutbacks. And the government should balance its budget. And we shouldn't also have an expansion monetary policy. And that is exactly how you caused then and could cause now a Great Depression. Simon Johnson thinks cutting the interest rate is good. But the Fed has been cutting the rate for months now. And when they made this cut yesterday, it was already down at 1%, which 
has to make you wonder, why didn't those other cuts help? I asked Simon about that. So, so what the Fed wants to happen is Adam Bank will lend to money for Alex to buy a house. So he'll buy a house and that'll get house prices going up. And he'll also probably buy, a, you know, a new dresser and a new bed and, you know, new DVD player and all that. Um, but the what you're saying, the problem is, is that Alex doesn't want to borrow the money at any rate because he thinks he might lose his job and he thinks house prices are have still a long way to fall. And he's just going to say, sorry, pal, I don't want it. So. Yes, and the key point there, Adam, is house prices falling. Because uh, Alex, um, first of all, may not want to get locked into a house with a falling price, but he might also say, hmm, why buy now? Why not buy in six months or a year? Because it's going to be cheaper. And the same thing would apply, for I, I think, right now, if he was thinking about buying a car. Looking at the global car industry, he might well say, hmm, pretty big discounts, but could get cheaper, so why buy? So if cutting the interest rate alone isn't going to solve the problem, what will? Well, the Federal Reserve is using every tool in its book, and like every week, it's making up new tools. Yeah, and new, new tools books. all the time. Yeah, and and they're doing anything they can to get more money into our economy, like printing money. Yeah. Now you know, Laura, this is like a pet peeve of mine. I don't like saying the Fed prints money just because the Fed does not actually print dollar bills or twenty dollar bills. That's the Office of Printing and Engraving, and has very little to do with monetary policy. Um, when you say printing money, I think of, you know, President Bush calling down to the Office of Printing and Engraving saying, hey, print a few billion more 20s so that, you know, and we'll throw them off a truck somewhere. And to me, that just sounds so so reckless and, and chaotic. So you'd rather have a term like quantitative easing. That's the other thing I keep reading, quantitative easing. Yeah. I mean, I guess the advantage of printing money is you can actually print picture something in your mind, quantitative easing. What's that? It, it doesn't mean a lot. I mean, basically what quantitative easing tells you. So so the Fed normally is doing all these, you know, buying treasuries, giving cash just to keep that interest rate low. But if the interest rate is as low as it can go, if it's at zero percent, then um, the Fed has other ways of I hope so. Getting cash to banks, which basically involves something similar to open market operations. It just means buying lots more treasuries, getting lots more cash to the banks in the hopes that the banks will get so much cash that they'll feel like they need to lend it out. So they'll lower interest rates even further and uh, and, and you know, get Alex to buy a house and you to buy a car. It still and, sounds reckless like Mardi Gras. <laughs> and, and actually, um, Simon Johnson says it's actually worth – thinking of it as reckless, that he doesn't mind it if people think this is a little reckless, but but not because he thinks it's bad. He actually thinks the recklessness is, at a time like this, weirdly good. The reason I like this slightly irresponsible image is an expression that was coined um, for the, in the 1990s, actually by, by Paul Krugman, I believe, who said that the central bank um, uh, in Japan needed to engage in credible irresponsibility, meaning that they needed to tell people, communicate that there was going to be some inflation, maybe even uh, more inflation than they'd ordinarily be comfortable with. Uh, the, the reason he wanted that then, and, and I think it makes sense, begins to make sense uh, now in the U.S., is the, the alternative is people think that prices and wages are going to fall, and they think that the central bank can't do anything about it. Um, the, the central bank sort of if you like, implicitly um, becomes credible in terms of zero inflation or negative inflation. Inflation in, in Japan right now, in Japan has never kicked this deflationary problem, is, is, is regarded as expected to be negative, falling prices over the next 30 years. Now, in the U.S., 
uh, we have uh, right now negative expected inflation over the next five years. Uh, last Friday, for example, uh, the market was expecting, and of course there's a market in this, and you can trade, you can trade this, but just like everything else in this so-called inflation swap market, the market was expecting a 0.5% fall in prices in the U.S. every year for the next five years. Now, over a 30-year horizon, they were still expecting uh, positive inflation close to 2%. Um, but negative inflation over five years would be incredibly damaging. We all have debts in, 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 nominal, in nominal terms, uh, my mortgage, your car loan, someone else's a boat loan or student loans. If prices fall um, and, and if our wages fall, then the, the, the cost of servicing those debts in real terms relative to our salaries goes up, and, and we're in much deeper trouble uh, than, 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 we, than, than we think we are now. One last thing. A couple of our listeners asked why the Fed went with a range instead of just saying we're going to move the interest rate to an absolute number. They went with this range. And that is very, very unusual. Here's Joel Wyrick of Middletown, Iowa. I, I was wondering if, uh, you know, they just didn't want to say that it was going to zero or if it had something to do with a uh, new strategy or something. We put Joel's question to Simon Johnson. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I think a couple of reasons. First of all, they've been having a hard time achieving their target, at least at higher interest rates. And so it's a bit more credible to say we're going for a range. It used to be they could get you to hit the, rate, hit the number exactly. Uh, but because banks are so reluctant to lend, it's been, the federal funds rate has been sagging, was sagging below 1%, for example, for a while. So I think that they're being a bit candid about that. Also, I think particularly this, this, this zero has, has some particular sort of dramatic um, connotations. Why would anyone lend if the rate is exactly zero? Right? So you, you want to indicate that it, it needs to be somewhat positive. At the same time, you, you know, this was about as dramatic as they, as they could have done in this instance. That's it for us today. I'm Laura Conaway. Check us out on the blog, npr.org slash money. We asked people to write in if they were seeing evidence of falling wages. And boy, have they been writing in. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. Fed stuff is so hard somehow. It, it is, it, so much of it is counterintuitive. So I'm really glad that you made it through this podcast. We're going to keep banging away at this. So if parts of this are a little confusing. Um, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. We'll get you there. And write us. What is it? Money at NPR.org? Planet, Planet Money. Planet Money at NPR.org. <laughs>